This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Over the summer, a group of Portlanders attempted to do something no one had ever done before, put on a continuous drag show for 48 hours in a row. The previous record, set in Australia something like five years ago, was about 36 hours. But when Portland writer and podcast host Eden Dawn, a lifelong fan of drag, was pitched the idea of bettering that by 12 hours, she said yes. As you've probably heard by now, she and a huge team of passionate people were ultimately successful, but any one of a number of mishaps could have jeopardized the whole project. Eden Dawn and the writer Fiona McCann produced a recent five-part podcast telling the story of how it all happened. It's called Slaying a Dragathon. They call it a side cast of their regular podcast, We Can't Print This. Eden Dawn joins now to talk about it, along with Binky Bellflower, one of the drag queens who helped break the record. Welcome to both of you. Hi. Thanks, Dave. Hello. So, Eden, can you tell us what the pitch was, who it came from? Yes. So my friend, Emma McElroy, who is the CEO of Wild Fang, a gender nonconforming clothing company in town that I am long been a super fan, um, she called me up and was like, I think that these drag bands are going to have a negative impact on the world. We know that they are. And what can we do to draw attention to this? But not only that, how do we fight the hate with joy? That was our internal mantra for the show, which if you're ever trying to persuade a friend to do something, that's a great persuasion tactic. (laughs) And you say this in the podcast. What was it about that framing, fighting hate with joy, that, that just made you say yes? I mean, I think for me, drag has always given me joy. Like, I'm not a drag queen officially. But I think Binky would back up. I have the spirit of a drag queen. I dress a little bit like a drag queen. My whole life, it has influenced me. I've learned so much from queens for being on stage, how to hold a microphone, how to have a smoky eye. (laughs) And I wanted to give back to the same level of joy that drag has given me. And this felt like something we could do. And we knew we could get a lot of attention on it, both for breaking the world record. And also, we wanted people to see Portland in a positive light again. Mm. Um, and we knew that this, at Darcells was the only place this show could happen and that we could do it with our community here. And we somehow pulled it off. <laughs> Binky, do you remember when you first heard this idea? Yes, I did. I was really amazed with the idea. The first thing was that, you know, when people make you feel less of a person, you show them how much more extra you can be. And that's what drag is all about. Basically, like what Eden just mentioned just now, drag is putting on makeup, putting on a persona and entertaining people and bringing whether joy or some form of entertainment to the world and just to prove and hold space for yourself. And that's what we did. And we did that not just uh, with what we know, we did that with the unknown as well. When we heard about Dragathon, we thought like our heads are going to explode, our beards are going to grow. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. That's actually one of the things that, uh-huh. that 24 hours in, um, yeah, you, you get a beard you don't want. Oh, yeah. You start shaving over your makeup. You start patching over your makeup. At the end of the show, some of us, because we have sweat so hard and the space was so hot, we continue to touch up our makeup. I looked at the photos when we finally broke the record. My face was so bead. It was my shading was so dark, my blush was so red, my eyes were so dark, but there was joy oozing out of our faces, basically sweat of joy. We were a happy mess. <laughs> um, well, this this is this is less happy. Eden, you started to plan the show in March of this year. Mm-hmm. At that point, what role did you think Darcel was going to play in in everything you were doing? You know. Obviously, we knew at that point Darcel was 92 and might not be able to be 
fully engaged for the 48 hours, but, you know, our hearts had hoped that she would be there. And even to just have her blessing of it being in that space, you know, I'm a longtime fashion editor in town and Darcel has always spent so much time with me and been so gracious with me that it just, we knew it had to be there. Um, and of course, we'd hoped she would have seen in person when we broke the record. And unfortunately, that was not the case. She died within weeks of your starting work on on this show. After she died, there was a packed event at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall in Portland. And at one point, Sharon Noor, the co-author of the book Just Call Me Darcel, spoke. And you include part of what she said in the first podcast episode. Let's have a listen. So if you want to know how much Darcel gave to his family, his friends, his community, to the world... Just look around you. And I'd like to say one more thing. It's kind of a war cry that we performers use. When Roxy died, as you heard, Darcel went and did a show. When Darcel died, the club didn't close. They did the shows. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it is, the show must go on. Let's say it together. The show must go on. The show must go on. And Walter and Roxy, you better believe that it still is. Thank you. Eden, what went through your mind when you heard that? It was such an overwhelming moment to be in this theater with thousands of people all there because Darcel had impacted our lives in some way, whether that was helping you be your best self or just feel loved. And it felt we had to consider the idea briefly how do we go on with our matriarch gone? Um, and I'm not sure that I considered it for too long, but it felt, you know, I'm watching Poison Waters cry, who is also helping us with the show, and everyone around me were all so overwhelmed. The idea of moving forward with, with, with like, essentially planning the party of a century felt a little bit strange. And then you think about it, and it's like, no, that's what Darcel always would want. That's what, what Sharon said is both the theater cry that lives in our hearts, but also exactly what Darcel would want. And we know that, you know, Darcel was a Guinness World Record holder for being the oldest working drag queen in the world. And, of course, when she passed, that title went to someone else. And she was so proud of having that Guinness record attached to the club. And so then it became even more important. We're like, we can bring this back. Hmm. We need to make sure Darcel gets a, a world record back. And that was just additional motivation. Hmm. Binky, what difference did Darcel make in your life? I was the last uh, hired cast member at Darcel 15 Showplace. Um, she hired me once I got my green card here in America. Hmm. And she said, would you like to join our cast? And she said, I said, without thinking twice, I said, yes, I would love to be part of this. She took care of me. She created space for me and also created this platform for me. Somebody who's actually an immigrant, uh, very new to America, uh, coming out to myself all over again and learning the art of drag, she created this platform for me to express myself. And one of the number that caught her eye the most was uh, my very frequent and very famous number that I do, Roar. Uh, not the Katy Perry version. I did a musical version from Anne Juliet Musical. And it literally says that you're going to hear me roar because uh, people can't shut me down. Mm -hmm. And 
she saw that and she loved how I brought my cultural expression to drag and the stage. And she said, "You can be part of this." Mm. She wanted me to be part of that. And also, I was also her last crowned winner of La Femme Magnifique International, which was uh, which is in search of the most glamorous drag queens uh, in uh, the world that Darcel hosts every single year. Mm. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about the podcast, Slaying a Dragathon. It focuses on the Guinness World Record setting 48-hour-long continuous drag show. It happened this summer. Pinky Bellflower is one of the 60 drag queens who broke the record. Eden Dawn was both one of the organizers of that event and one of the hosts of the podcast, Slaying a Dragathon. So, Ian, uh, Eden, when you decided you, the show was going to go forward... Mm-hmm. Then there was a lot. You still had to actually do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Turns out that was the easier part. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> including following the rules of the Guinness Book of World Records. I mean, a, a world record is in some ways all about rules. It's nothing but um, rules. I, I want to play another excerpt from one of the episodes. This is where you are reading the Guinness Book's definition of drag. Let's have a listen. <laughs> Dresses up and portrays an exaggerated theatrical interpretation of femininity or masculinity, playing on cultural stereotypes and subverting expectations. All participants must wear full body attire, example, wig, dress, and heels for a drag queen, suit, slicked hair, and facial hair for drag king, and makeup. All performers must be of a professional standard, and all acts must be planned and rehearsed in advance. What were the other rules that you had to follow that, that made this challenging just from a production standpoint? Uh, they are numerous, <laughs> but I would say the timing was incredibly strict, okay? So no drag queen could perform um, under two minutes or over 10 minutes. If we went 10 minutes, 10 seconds, we lose. No MC could be over five minutes. Do you, do you understand the over 10? I, mean, I understand the under two because it's maybe not enough of a performance, but... It just seems like at a certain point, making rules for the sake of rules. Uh, very much so. <laughs> uh, so that was an incredibly difficult one because also our uh, the queens was easier to keep on time and kings because they would submit songs in advance. But the MCs and, you know, we had a host of people coming in from Saturday Night Live and folks that are very good on stage who aren't used to having to get off in five minutes. So Fred I, Armisen is the one you say Fred was, Armisen, he was having too, too good a time. John Cameron Mitchell, both Emma and I had to walk out and pull people mid-sentence more than once, those little rascals. So the Guinness Book wouldn't say, no, you're disqualified. They, yeah, yeah, we would lose if they went over. Um, the, w- one that was very hard for a 48-hour drag show midweek is that we had to have 25 audience members butts in seats at every moment. You said that, that, that going in, you thought that was going to be an issue. Who's going to be there? Will there be people, 25 butts in seats at 3 a.m. On, on, a, a on a Tuesday? But in the end, that wasn't a problem, right? No. We sold out every hour. We had lines around the block, and we had a standby line. So if there was ever an opportunity to squish somebody in, we would get more in. Can you describe the official witnesses? The witnesses. So Guinness requires both everything to be filmed at once with a clock ticking in the background. And then witnesses, two independent witnesses, have to sit in the seats and record in a logbook every single person that goes on stage, every single minute they're on, what they performed to. It it's all these rules that that I mean correct me if I'm wrong but Biggie it just seems like they go against part of the the, the rule breaking sort of um, society flouting. 
beauty of drag. It's mm-hmm. it's now. I mean, you have to have um, a clock, a ticking clock in the background of the video, and somebody you know with a stopwatch with a with a notebook writing things down. It doesn't right. seem very draggy to me. And it's all about drag time too, right? You know, drag queens have drag time. We're late. We do things at our own timing. But the thing is, like, if you're given a box to play in, you play. F- flawlessly within the box Mm. and that's what all the performers were doing and that's what all the MCs were doing their best to do I think (laughs) there were certain parts that I wasn't performing I was sitting at the back and I was literally nervously looking at the clock but these MCs would hit the mark and the music would kick in and the next performer would come out and the and the audience would roar (laughs) it was it was wonderful can you describe what the the backstage area and the the trap door going to the the basement dressing room what what those spaces were like over I the watched, course of 48 hours? <laughs> I watched Binky fall down that trap door and lose to break two heels. So the backstage at Darcells is about the size of a walk-in closet, which literally has a hole in the ground with one kind of banister around it, but you very easily can fall in. No airflow, no window, 48 hours of everyone in sequins and wigs sweating, breathing carbon dioxide. It was the smelliest, best after party ever. And because the timing was so short in between and you could not go one second over without losing, people were running up and down to the basement dressing rooms. And I remember right before we won, Binky ran to change something and went down and both your heels snapped off your shoe. Yes, because those steps are not agronomic. They're made in such a way that they're extremely steep because and narrow. And sometimes two or three drag queens will be going up and down at the same time. So we're trying to avoid each other. I, I remember the reason why I rushed down because I had three minutes to change for the finale. And I wanted to deck myself up in the best Wild Fang outfit and make sure that I wipe my sweat off. So <laughs> I rushed downstairs without knowing that I've actually gotten one of my heel trapped on it. And then the other heel got trapped in one of the steps as well. And so I broke both my heels. Our whole goal was to stay alive back there yeah. on a lot of levels. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a good goal in general in life. Um, a Guinness judge that you quote said this, I'm always very clear that marathon attempts are not the ones you want to do, meaning of the, the things in the book don't go for the, the marathon versions. He says, there's always a switch that happens in every marathon attempt where you say, oh no, this was not a good idea. What was the moment for you when you first said that? I mean, I... It was earlier than I thought because we, the thing is, of course, people are like, oh, you stayed awake 48 hours. We'd been awake for days Hmm. because of all of the madness of the last minute things of like one of our headlining queens got plane, got in a hailstorm. People got COVID and had to drop out last minute. There were so many things I hadn't slept in so long. So it was- And sleep deprivation, it's somewhere between a drug and a torture. It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. But there was a ladder backstage that fell on me, nearly knocked me out. So I briefly went into the back room to have a quick cry, keep a professional away from everybody. And then somebody walked in and goes, the news is outside and wants to get you live on camera right now. And I was like- (sighs) Suck it up, went out for the camera. And that's when I was like, this is mayhem. There's not literally not moment to cry from getting hit with a ladder. <laughs> but you just keep going because, you know, it's, li- it's live theater. Failure is not an option. You, you know, as you noted at the very beginning, one of the, the big reasons to put on the show, and I should say that this was in the end a, a fundraiser, a, a very effective one. You raised more than $300,000 for the Trevor Project, yes. which tries to prevent um, suicide among LGBTQ youth. But the... The big reason to put this on was because of anti-LGBTQ laws and attacks on, on trans people in particular around the country. How much did you have to 
think about security as you were planning this? We definitely considered it because of things happening in the world. We took a lot of advisement from Poison Waters and the Darcel crew, who obviously have been operating since 1967. So they're quite astute at knowing how to handle it. But we did actually bring in a team of MMA fighters that are trained in de-escalation because we did not think that the solution was to to bring in a bunch of people with guns to stand outside. We wanted people to feel safe. So we had some lovely security folks who they said our arms are our (laughs) security. And I think that people in the end felt really safe. And that room was such a loving, there were so many happy tears and crying and, and hugs. I wish I could go back and experience it just as a, as a viewer. One of the more, powerful aspects of the podcast series is that we get to hear directly from many of the performers about what drag means or has meant to them. I want to play one of them. This is Isaiah Esquire. Drag is meaningful for me because it it gives me a medium to be able to express myself, um, my identity um, and the vastness of that, the complexities of that. Um, And it's also a lovely um, avenue to be able to kind of confront some of my own internalized homophobia and uh, things about body image and self-worth and all those things that, you know, happen from growing up in a society like ours. Binky, what difference has drag meant in your life? I didn't realize that I had a voice. And sometimes when you think about voice, it's you think about the loudest or the most intelligent. But actually, voice simply means presence. Uh, I realized that a lot of previous drag queens, such as Poison Waters or even Darcel herself, has created this pathway ahead for us. Their voices might be heard and seen through different ways. And I wanted to mimic that. I wanted to also create that voice, enable myself to have that voice, and also write the future for the rest who come behind me. And that's why I did drag. That's why I decided to do drag. That's why I decided to look up to people who actually gave me this path Hmm. and create this positive change in drag. Eden, can you describe the moment that you officially got word? This was 12 hours past um, the Australian record, but until you heard from the Guinness judge that he had reviewed the video and and he could say yes, you, you didn't know if you'd done it or not. So when you got that word finally, what was it like for you? It is honestly unlike anything I've ever had in my life, and I think I ever will, because there's I'm a very goal-oriented person, and it, we all have had goals we've set in our life. But this level of something was such an overwhelming thing. With We had a 783 stage changes in that run of show, 783 times that we could mess up and for something to go wrong. And to come through at the end and have him say that and know that this all came from just literally friends working together to have a world record for Darcells, for everything, for joy, I felt essentially like a unicorn popped up and licked me on the face or something. I don't even know, except for I broke down crying and we just poisoned and Emma and I hugged in an eternal hug. And I, yeah, I felt high. Let's have a listen to your co-organizer, Emma McElroy, after the Guinness judge made it official. I got to tell you, honestly, there were times even on Monday night, Tuesday morning, where I was like, Eden, I don't know if we can do this. There was one person who from the start said, you guys are going to do this. There was one person who believed in us. And if I could encourage you to turn your attention to the screen on the left and ask my AV team to hit play, you'll find out who that person was. Congratulations. 
Congratulations, Darcells. You did it. You just won the Guinness World Record for the longest dragathon in history. My goodness. Thank you for spreading love and the joy of drag throughout the world. Oh, my goodness. Big kiss from Mama Ru. That is RuPaul. Every now and then, I I do wish that people could see our guests, including just now when Binky, when you when you heard the video of RuPaul. Um, you have forty seconds left. But what was going through your mind then? I cannot imagine how it's like. I'm reliving in it. It's like she's here. And obviously now she's in my head. And we we play that video every single night before our show starts when the audience comes to the show. Mm. Literally, we, we, we have her voice as a mark uh, uh, in, in sync with Darcel Showplace. And I just have goosebumps. I, I'm reliving it every single time I hear it. It's fresh to me. It's exciting to me. Binky Bellflower and Eden Dawn, thanks very much. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Binky Bellflower is one of the 60 drag queens who broke the drag show world record this summer. Eden Dawn helped organize the Dragathon. She's a host of the new podcast, Slaying a Dragathon, about that project. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR One app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. 